God, I don't even feel like a person right now. Hey, welcome to Butter with that. <laughs> <laughs> I really tried to overcompensate. <laughs> it worked. Yep. Yeah, when I was recording with Garrett the other night, he's like, "You can you use a podcast voice? So I just went like, hey, yo. And he's like, all right, just start every episode like that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, welcome to Butter With That movie podcast where friends from Philly talk about some of uh, our favorite movies. Uh, so the whole gang is here tonight, uh, continuing on with our uh, time travel movies. Um, any like movies or TV or anything people wanted to, to bring up before we uh, jump into to Star Trek? Um, Disney Plus put on the Brandy Cinderella on Friday. We watched it immediately. Ooh. It still is perfect. Uh, the best Cinderella. That movie takes me back. Oh, gives me all the feels. <laughs> no. It just makes me miss Whitney Houston so much. Yeah, man. That movie is so freaking good. And the costumes are really great, too. I like, man, yeah, I love it so much. I'm so glad that it's on there. It really underuses Whoopi Goldberg, but I'll tell you what, the the all the lines and screen time she gets, she uses. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. She's so good in it. Yeah, any Whoopi is good. Yeah, I was trying to think if we saw anything. Oh, uh, so we watched this really interesting movie the other day called The Misfit Brigade. Um, its other title is Wheels of Terror. <laughs> Um, but we watched it because Garrett and I are doing um, David Patrick Kelly on um, our podcast. Um, so we did it and it's like um, him, Oliver Reed, David Carradine. It's this crazy cast, but it's about like a brigade in the Nazi army that's made up of like Nazi prisoners. And so they're all like kind of against the Nazis, but they're still fighting for the Nazis. It's like a really weird, like, I think it's early 80s. It, oh no, it's 87. But it was it was very odd. And they're like fighting the Russians in it. So it also felt like a weird 80s movie where they're like, yeah, we can have the, the Nazis be the heroes as long as they're killing the Russians, which is like a very weird concept for a movie. I mean, that was pretty inflamed historically between the two for a while. So I guess it fits in somewhere. For sure. Yeah. I don't think I can even wrap my brain around the premise of that movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's, they like try to make, like, one of them is like a communist. One of them is like Christian. One of them is like Muslim. So they're all like people that have like, you know, gone against the Nazi party in some way. So it's like kind of interesting. Um, but but yeah, very, very strange movie. But there's like a tank battle in it, which is really funny because I don't ever really think about how awkward it is to like drive tanks and try to shoot each other, which like it's watching it in that movie is really funny. Yeah. 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 And they're, yeah, they're all just trying to like get at the right angles because tanks are really fucking awkward. It's like really funny. <laughs> um, any other like movies or anything people people wanted to shout out? The WandaVision train keeps going. Oh, yeah. Um, ep the most recent episode was great, the Halloween one. Don't want to say too much more for folks who haven't watched, but very good, and it has only been getting better. Oh, that's cool. 
it was so great seeing them in their costumes, like their comic costumes. And I I have some definite theories about some characters that I'm excited to see if they're true or not. Um, I'm hoping... So what, there's like two more episodes left? Uh, there's nine episodes in total. Oh, okay, so th- three more. Well, whatever. Um, I'm hoping that we get we get a little bit more from the next episode. This this one was great. It was fun, but it was definitely kind of like a filler. But I want mm. more. Sam, I enjoy these like five minute every other week WandaVision chats that we have. These <laughs> <two minutes. laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> this is probably not even worth mentioning, but I'll do it anyways. Some friends of mine have decided it would be a great idea to start rewatching the Twilight series. I have never watched Twilight and I missed the night that we were going to watch the first one. So I started with Twilight New Moon and had oh, to God. figure out everything. And I mean, it's garbage. It's only enjoyable because I'm watching and texting at the same time, maybe, and making a lot of random, like creating some like random jokes. But it's it's great how much... Both Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson don't want to be there. I don't think anybody wants to be there. Mm. And I got lost down this rabbit hole on YouTube watching B-roll footage of the movie. So they have it on YouTube. So everything is green screened. Outdoor, obviously. Indoor scenes. Mm. All the windows are green screened. And I'm like, this movie. Everyone (laughs) is still and so dead inside. Yeah. (laughs) This is why Ian McKellen wept on the set. (laughs) Oh God! Wait, I haven't I gotten there's... to Ian McKellen. Uh, that's that's on the <laughs> Hobbit. Never mind. Just oh, an analogy. Uh, like maybe I should make it to Eclipse Double Whammy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Twilight Double Whammy. Dawn, I think the two-parter. Yeah, uh, it's I Double think, Whammy. I think there's uh like commentary tracks of Robert Pattinson talking about the movie and I've just heard like clips and they're all so funny because he's like he clearly like did not give a fuck about that movie and he makes sure that you know it it's Um, like the Ben Affleck uh Armageddon commentary if you've ever heard that which is a real treat Christine I would love to get your thoughts on the final movies the, the Breaking Dawn part one and two if you think that these the story has been like incredulous so far, <laughs> oh man, yeah. There, there are two scenes in the last movie, Breaking Dawn Part Two, that sent me to an early grave. I got to tell you. Well, actually, I guess the first one sent me to the early grave, and then the last one brought me back because I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Oh my god, we probably have to do this because like one of our first conversations about it with that was about Twilight, wasn't it? I think so. I think, yeah, I think I I've only seen the first one and I have some friends that are like not like apologists, but they're like, it's like an enjoyably bad series to watch. Like yeah. you should just watch it. So I kind of I, I kind of wanna do it now that I'm like far enough apart from the material because I read the books and liked them and didn't realize until I saw the first movie how thoroughly creepy the entire story is. Uh so that then I was like I like sat in the theater just like, oh no, I can't believe I liked these books. This is terrible. And then I like didn't want to see another movie. 
they they get better, I would say, um, the first one. Yeah. Do you know that Stephanie Meyer wanted Henry Cavill to play Edward? Could you imagine? I did read that. I now I'm like reading every trivia <laughs> I can possibly get my hands on for Twilight. And I read that fact. I was like, that would have been actually weird, but like maybe weird with the context of yeah. him being Superman. But I don't know. We talked, we were talking about it the other day because, like, Garrett was talking about some, like, comedian that they, like, asked, like, some, like, if they could help, like, with some insights on the script of the last one. And they were like, so there's this, like, really weird thing that has to happen, but we want to make it not creepy. And the guy was just like, yeah, you can't make it not creepy. <laughs> um, but I don't want to give too many details away, Christine, because if you don't know much, I want you to uh, enjoy that for yourself. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm going in knowing nothing, but like nothing happens. Like some, like things happen that maybe aren't giving me enough. They play baseball. Wait, well, I missed, so I missed, because that's in the first one, and I missed that. And everyone's like, oh, you missed the classic all-American vampire baseball game. (laughs) And I was- Is this an anime? They were like- (laughs) Um, Yeah. We could talk about Twilight literally. Yeah, I don't want to derail. I don't want to derail. Like, one last thing. (laughs) Have you guys seen, like, all the discourse around, like, what created Twilight? (laughs) Which is, like, all the way back to 9-11. I wouldn't laugh at 9-11, but it's like... (laughs) God. Yeah, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you Uh, need to explain something, at least. (laughs) Um, oh God. Okay. So 9-11 happens, which inspires, uh, My Chemical Romance to form. Uh, Stephanie Meyer is a fan of My Chemical Romance and inspires, um, her work on vampires and thus Twilight was born. Um, wait, sorry. So that, so I did read that My Chemical Romance refused to do an original song for Twilight. And that that was really dramatic. Like there was big drama. And now I know it's because she was a big fan. Got it. Okay. Thanks for filling That's in. Such a, I need to see like a diagram of that, like 9-11 MCR vampires. Like, oh, okay. This is fucking crazy. I'm just finding right now, having Googled this, um, it, it became my therapy from the PTSD that everyone experienced, said Gerard Way, who was seated on the ferry guided a, guiding across the Hudson River when the plane struck the towers on 9-11. Mm-hmm. I, I what wish- the fuck? <laughs> yeah. This is something, like, I, I would delete from my brain if I could. But so so then, you know, you, you have Twilight, and then fan fiction of that then creates uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. So... 9-11 is why we have 50 Shades of Grey. Wait, 50 Shades of Grey is fan fiction from Twilight? Yeah. yeah that's how it started. What? I did not know that. I did Which not if know you that. just open up any page of that book and like read a line, you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so all of this is to say that if we go back to like the Gulf War, uh, basically the Gulf War is responsible for 50 Shades of Grey. <laughs> Because, like, why did 9-11 happen? 9-11 happened because of this, this, this. <laughs> I need yeah, you we're going to have to go way back through U.S. foreign I, policy I need to figure this out. I you to do, like, your dissertation <laughs> on this. Because I, I want to read to. <laughs> all of it. No. <laughs> wow. Anyway. I, oh. uh, anyone got a good segue uh, out, of, out of this now? No? Great. I was, uh, so- I've watched some stuff, but I... 
I'm blown away. I don't know what to do now. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to go to the past now. We're going to pretend this didn't happen. <laughs> we're going to introduce our time travel movie, <laughs> uh, which uh, is uh, the 20, 2009 Star Trek, uh, which is just called Star Trek, even though there are lots of other Star Treks out there. But this is the 2009 Chris Pine Star Trek, um, which... Uh, I kind of picked mostly because how it decides to use time travel to like, I think is very interesting. Um, and it's like very much like ingrained in how they decide to like reboot this franchise. Um, so I guess like, uh, has everyone seen this before? I oh, had seen it before. Oh, okay. Um, cool. Uh, so I guess just like, you know, whoever wants to start about like, you know, some thoughts and also I guess just like, your relationship with Star Trek in general, because like the very like long running um, like series and franchise. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I I know nothing about Star Trek, mm. um, and so I thought the movie, seeing it for the first time, I thought it introduced characters like who are iconic, and like I have enough general knowledge about the, I don't know some Star Trek go to phrases and characters to like be like okay I can piece that together but I really liked that you didn't need to have a full understanding of who everyone was what their relationships are to just get swept up in the story and go along with it and I really appreciate uh appreciate it um and I would say that same thing with the with using time travel as well I didn't I wasn't lost in trying to piece together the story, knowing that time travel was going to be involved. And it, it, um, yeah, I, I thought it was, it was nicely incorporated. Um, it made me actually want to like watch some Star Trek because I have been talking a lot about the expanse on the podcast and mm. a lot of the things I love about the expanse. I can see really um, uh, shown or showcased in Star Trek mainly the uh, the camaraderie of a main crew and like working mm-hmm. together to like solve problems. And that's what I love those scenes when they're all working together, problem solving, figuring out uh, the best ways to uh, avoid catam- cataclysmic disaster. And so I was like, I could go for some space camaraderie. Maybe I should like, is there a, a series that start you all as Star Trek or those of you who are Star Trek fans would recommend would be a good beginning to watch it, like watching a show. Is there a series I should watch? I, I would say, uh, unless anybody else wants to weigh in, um, I don't have that much of a connection to the franchise uh, as a whole and it's many distillations, but uh, having seen a good deal of uh, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, uh, both of those are really great. Is that with Patrick Stewart? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Captain Picard. Um. And those not, are really great. Oh, oh, got it. It's a different, it's not Kirk. It's got it, got it, got it. Right, right. Um, and so that being said, I've, I've got only a limited knowledge of Star Trek in general, especially like Kirk and, and Zulu and uh, Spock and so on. Uh, I'm more familiar with the Picard crew. Um, and even then only a little bit. So going into this pretty blind, but this movie, uh, this movie rules. It's, it's really awesome on a lot of different levels uh, from its performances to its production. Um, the way it looks, um, and and Tori, as you brought up already, and uh, as I'm really, really looking forward to discussing with this movie, um, how it handles the concept of uh, of tangent universes based on 
time travel and uh, divergence from a prime universe via string theory and so on, um, influencing how characters are framed, how, how beloved characters within a franchise are framed in what is a reboot, and in a way that kind of explains and justifies it being a reboot, which is really, really smart. So I'm looking forward to talking about all that. I don't have a huge connection to Star Trek. Like I've probably seen three seasons of The Next Generation with Patrick Stewart. Uh, I've probably seen most of the original series, which I think is Christina's worth checking out. It's pretty cool going back to like TV way back in the day. Um, and this is probably my third or fourth time seeing this movie because I feel like this is one that was on like TNT or like on TV uh, quite a bit back in the day. And this, you know, rewatching it for this episode, it might be my favorite J.J. Abrams movie. Like, I feel like this is him firing on all cylinders um, with a franchise that he doesn't really care about, if that makes sense. Like, oh, I don't I don't know about that. I feel like it seems it's evident that he cares a lot about it. <laughs> well, I guess when I say that is in a way that is different than how he feels about Star Wars. Mm. It's handled differently than Star Wars, yeah. which I'm looking forward to getting into. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like this is J.J. firing on all cylinders where all of his bag of tricks work the most effectively. Yeah, he nails it. <laughs> um, I don't give a shit about Star Trek. Sorry to anyone who cares. Um, it's just, you know, not my cup. But uh, I had seen this movie before and remembered none of it. So when I watched it again, I was like, what the fuck was I doing? I don't remember a single thing. A single thing. Uh, anyway, so it was nice to watch again for the first time, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. It's a it's a really well done movie, and for someone who doesn't really care about the Star Trek franchise, like I was still in it. I still cared about these characters, um, and I just I want nothing but wonderful and lovely things for both Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pine. Just God bless, love them. Was that a pre Thor Chris Hemsworth? Is that like a nobody knew who Chris Hemsworth was? was Kremsworth. Can we just? (laughs) (laughs) Kremsworth? Christina was amazing. Kremsworth. Yeah, I saw this in theaters and um, I'm also not like super into Star Trek. Um, I remember when I was like a kid, like Enterprise was on a lot. And so I feel like I probably saw like more of that. Um, But uh, my mom like loves Star Trek because she grew up with like the original Star Trek with like William Shatner and everything. Um, So like I went with my mom and my two sisters and it was like such a fun experience for us all to go. And like her to share like a new version of the thing she loved so much and uh she she ended up loving this movie too which was like kind of nice that we all got to enjoy this thing together and we got a little insight onto like you know this like franchise that my mom like loved a lot when she was a kid um but yeah, so this uh, is uh, was directed by J.J. Abrams. Um, it stars Chris Pine, uh, Zachary Quinto. It's got a crazy cast. Uh, Leonard Nimoy comes back. Eric Bana, Bruce Greenwood, Carl Urban, Simon Pegg, John Cho, uh, and R.I.P. Anton Yelchin. Um, so really, really, I know, really uh, awesome cast, uh, which I want to talk about, like, the casting is, you know, 
compared to like some of the like iconic like characters that we know um, in the original series. Even if you don't see, haven't really seen it, I feel like I, you know, was really stoked about how they updated the casting for this and it felt uh, like it worked really well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is their reboot of the, the Star Trek franchise and how they decided to do that is um, uh, the Romulans uh, come through like a, a black hole uh, and are set on like destroying like the um, the Star Trek like Enterprise like crew and everything. Um, so it starts off with like you seeing like Kurt's, Kirk's father like die in this like horrible attack uh, by the Romulans, um, which uh, totally breaks from the original series. Um, in the original series, like. Kirk's like father is alive and all of this stuff. So already it like uses its time travel to like totally change the course of what's about to happen. And from there we uh, get to kind of have the origin stories of Kirk, of Spock um, and the rest of the, the cast of the enterprise as they end up facing against the, the Romulans. Um, so yeah, I don't have like too, too, like didn't have like too, too many notes on this movie. I just, figured this is such a fun movie just to have like a general chat about this is a movie that i've watched a bunch because it's like a go-to like i want to put something on and have it on in the background kind of movie for me it's just so fun and like i remember like watching it last year after having like a really shitty day at work and it like putting me in the best mood um so it's yeah it's just such a fun film and like you know like you guys already mentioned it's really well directed and i can see why after jj abrams did this they wanted him to work on star wars which you know uh mixed bag as to how that actually played out but like this i can definitely see like why they wanted him to like try to work on the new star wars yeah as concerns that in particular i think it's it's really interesting the way this property is handled versus star wars mm-hmm. um because they do take the opportunity to from from this divergent timeline, um, like it, it's introducing a you know as as Spock eventually explains, there's basically a time traveler in our midst who has found a way through space time from the future into our own reality, and that's going to alter the course of our reality in real time, such that this is now a tangent timeline. This isn't the prime timeline anymore. We our fates are now up in the air, um, and are way more like ethereal and nebulous and um, I think that's really interesting because it kind of cuts out like the backlash that Star Wars encountered mm. um, by explaining that like, look, yeah, these these are the foundation of the characters that you know, but they are growing up in a different reality. So it justifies our decisions as concerns their trajectory in this new reboot and justifies it being a reboot because it's a repackaging of an existing reality with its own rules. And I think you can't get away with that with Star Wars because Star Wars is, it's not a reboot. It's a continuation of that story. And it is so rooted in um, legacy and like um, family lineage and all those things. So it's the kind of thing that I, I, I wouldn't, I don't hold it against it that it's not in Star Wars because it wouldn't make sense. Um, but that is employed here is employed so well as a way of just like shutting down like critical gatekeeping discourse as concerns these characters because they are these characters, but it's a different reality. So we have an open field to, to play with this because of time travel, which is really, really smart. Yeah. I don't know if I know of any other like 
franchise or anything that's tried to kind of do something similar in a reboot where like, I think you said it perfectly, Dave, but it's like, yeah, everything you love still exists in this universe. This is like a totally different like reality that we're working with. So it's like, we get the same characters, but there's going to be like, different things we explore, nuances, how like the different past affects these characters and what that actually means. And so this gets to be its own thing, which is fascinating. Which is self-justifying because of that element, which is really smart. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I, I liked the time travel specifically as like just how it was deciding to reboot a franchise by using this time travel element to it. Time travel is also so dangerous to do in a franchise. And, like, this is time travel done so well. And, I mean, like, the the closest I can get to thinking is Endgame. And there's just, like, huge plot holes in Endgame mm-hmm. where there isn't in this. And it was just kind of nice to have things tie up together. And, like, personally, I think one of the most heartbreaking lines is between um, older Spock and Kirk when Kirk asks, like, in your timeline, did I know my dad? And he's like, yeah, you did. You you had a great relationship with him. And, like, you know, you could see Kirk kind of dealing with that. How horrible is that? Like, oh, just to know that that exists when it's clearly, you know, something that he's really sensitive about. Man, that hit me deep. Well, and I think what's also great about that scene, too, is Spock, you know, Leonard Nimoy says he served as your inspiration to join Starfleet, which is yeah. true in this timeline as well, but for different reasons, which right. think about the other times I've seen it until watching it now for the podcast. So what a great, just, yeah, using the world that you have in every way possible. And that's how this movie opens is with that inciting event where you see Kirk's dad, like, sacrifice, like, himself in order to save his mom, who's like giving birth to him, like right then and there, um, and the rest of his crew. And that like is like some of the most heartbreaking 10 minutes. Like that scene always fucking gets me when I watch this movie. I think that like um, something I really appreciated was uh, how they tried to get Kirk to join Starfleet and um, Mm -hmm. saying that, you know, your dad was captain for 12 minutes and saved 800 people. What are you going to do? And who for somebody like what they've made Kirk into, like, yeah, it's really going to motivate him 100%. Big time. And that, that opening scene too, it's, we don't, we don't waste any time for it not to be, a space war it's brutal right away like real brutal and it, it does such a good job of like obviously there is that that sort of like um dialogue driven scene um between um kirk's father and mother as he's making making the choice because autopilot has failed to crash the ship into uh, the opposing ship um but but up to then like and even including that it's it's not like so heavily weighted on like the dialogue to to convey the drama of that situation especially because abrams really makes the time uh to set up with like a sweeping score and just like a lot of individual examples of other tangential side characters that we never meet just being killed in the siege and like the explosion of the ship it really does a good job of uh, yeah just diving into the emotionality of the scene without relying on dialogue even though it does really rev that home in the end but effectively and going off of points of like explosions and score i think uh there's some moments of amazing sound design in this movie they're like um, 
I think the first instance happens in the beginning with the explosion where all the sound is cut and it's just, um, mm. it's just like him breathe or no, wait, one of them is like a Kirk skydiving and it's like just mm-hmm. him breathing and like yeah. all the sound is cut. And I think he, uh, Abrams uses this a similar technique at the beginning. Um, it's so effective and like is really a kind of a unique marker of like a, of, like scenes I feel like I've seen in superhero movies and other sci-fi explosions, but like kind of like gave me pause in a really wonderful way. Um, adding to kind of the dramatic effect of those scenes. I think maybe Christine, what you might be referring to is there's a shot where um, some passengers of the ship are sucked out into space and the sound mm. cuts out when they're sucked into space because yes, that's, that's uh, mm-hmm. be still my heart. I mean, that's such a Kubrickian cinematic space rule. Like established pretty much with 2001 when he did so much research into like there in the vacuum of space, there is no sound. So he, he had that be a part of 2001 Space Odyssey in defining, you know, interior and exterior space. And that's highlighted here so many times. And it's so awesome. If I could throw out another like, if you love that, watch The Expanse, because it also really does effective sound design around like house, like, Yeah no sound in space, but, Mm. and just breathing, but it's really jarring in Star Trek and really effective and wonderfully like, uh, makes you really scared in those moments. Well, I'm happy you went back to that too, Christine. Cause like, I, you know, I definitely love ensemble cast movies like this, where you have to get this whole like motley crew of like weird personalities to make it work. And this one had like, you know, the added like issue of like, trying to like recast these really iconic characters that so many people hold like really dearly. Um, And I think they do such a stellar job with that um, because like also you have like the main characters. So you have like Kirk and Spock and um, those are like the two that like you're really like following for the most part. Like, Like they split a lot of the storytelling at the beginning between like what Kirk is going through and what Spock is going through as they're younger and growing up. But then you also have like so many other characters that you need to get to in this also. Um, and I think the casting's like phenomenal. Um, like they get two of the best Hollywood Chris's. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, we are missing Chris Evans, uh, who would be welcome in this universe. I would love if he was in this universe. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely want to get into like some of the the like favorite casting uh, for this film. I, I watching this and Zoe Saldana, I think is really good as a Huru. And she had just looking back, like it's incredible from like 2008 up till now, she's been in Avatar, the new Star Trek movies, both Guards of the Galaxies, Endgame mm-hmm. and Infinity War. Like Damn. if you're like the only franchise she's not in is Star Wars. <laughs> Glad you brought up her because I did wish she had more to do in this movie. Um, Same. I felt like there were moments where, yeah, she was just kind of a prop in the set. Um, and there were some impactful emotional moments, especially between her uh, and Spock um, that I thought had, and I think it lends itself to both her performance and uh, Quinto, what's his name? Zachary Quinto. Zachary. Um, but I do wish she had more to do. I also feel like there were moments that f- of the movie that felt very 2009 with like mm. Kirk's characterization is like always like glancing at ladies and like the, the weird like under the bed peeping scene. And it was just a little bit weird. Uh, not a little bit. Very dated and felt 2009. So those were some moments where I was like, I feel like if, if, could use a little updated characterization. 
But um, but Chris Pine is is a lot of fun to watch and is a great performer. So uh, I thought casting him was a great a great choice. Yeah, I um I was watching this with Garrett and we were talking about the scene in the bar. Uh, when he's like just getting drunk and gets into a fight with some of the Starfleet folks. And like Garrett's always like, man, like Chris Pine really should be Andy Deanna Jones because he takes a punch just like um, fucking, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Ford. Yeah, Harrison Ford. And I was like, man, I know. I like love how good he is at being like the, I don't know, like the the kind of like hot, like uh, confident dude, but also being like a total goofball in some of those scenes where he does like really take a punch. They have that whole scene later where he's um, getting shot up with different stuff and his whole like face blows up. And it's just so perfect for me. <laughs> Chris Pine is just great. One thing that I think is interesting is it's been brought up as to whether or not this is like an appropriately modern reinterpretation of the character of Captain Kirk, which, you know, again, my experience with the franchise is relegated mostly to Picard through um, Patrick Stewart. But Kirk is, you know, the, 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 the what is it, the not like not, late 1960s version mm-hmm. with um, William Shatner, who is like William Shatner in those, which like, you know, he's just kind of like knocking around and he's like, you know, sleeping with, uh, you know, green and purple women as he does in this. <laughs> but with like with a different kind of like sensitivity, I think, in this in this regard where it, it's still it still smacks of that character, but it allows for a little bit more dynamics and growth as it goes on, which, again, is justifiable because this isn't the same Kirk. Yeah. So I think in in that regard, it kind of addresses it. Maybe not, um, maybe not as much as it, it would if I really researched the original franchise. Because again, uh, the Kirk stuff I'm not really familiar with. But the way it's handled here, I think it it picks up with the momentum, the expected momentum of that character, him being the older captain, um, culturally speaking, but reapplying it to a modern lens without compromising that being part of his character. I don't know. Any, uh, well, I guess, too, we should talk about Spock, because I think what they do with Spock is really interesting in this, too, where I haven't seen much of the original, but I know that it's, he's, it's mostly played, they don't, like, uh, do this, like, you know, he's, like, half Vulcan um, is not a thing that I think they totally dive into in the original series, um, with how he, you know, has to be, like, emotionally compromised at one point um, in order for, like, Kirk to get, like, his spot back um, on the Enterprise. Um, But I think a lot of that is handled really well. um, And I also love, like, he has to go and try to like save his family on Vulcan and they get fucking Winona Ryder to play his mom, which is like wild. Um, How did you double take? I was like, is that Winona? Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, you know, again, not like knowing too, too much about like the original stuff, but I just think they do like such an interesting job. And I think Zachary Quinto is like really, really good at playing Spock in this. Christine, did you call him Jeremy Quinto? Is that what you said? I knew it was like the E Quinto, but I couldn't remember whether it was Jeremy Zachary or Jeremy. Crumbs I know that probably over the course of this podcast, I will say Star Wars instead of Star Trek because I, yeah, words are not 
uh, supporting me this evening. I mean, we mostly talk about Star Wars here, so it is it is a little weird. <laughs> It um I, I forgot how much I like Zachary Quinto as an actor because it's been so long since I've seen him in anything. Like he was good in the I've only seen like the first two uh, American Horror Story seasons, but he was fantastic in those two seasons. Yeah. He's great in this movie. I'm also a big fan of Star Trek Beyond, which is the third movie in this mm. reboot, and I think that movie is criminally underrated. Um, and he's fantastic in that one as well, Spock. And I love the dynamic between him and Chris Pine, and so smart to bring Leonard Nimoy in. Uh, through this time travel mechanic as old Spock. And I just, I, I love the scenes between those two. Like I thought Zachary Quinto did such a good job matching Leonard Nimoy's energy and like doing his own little thing too. Like that must've been so hard to like kind of nail. What is the feel? What is the tone? How do I act this? And I think it really paid off. And Leonard Nimoy is credited as Spock Prime in this movie on uh, I, IMDb, which I think is really funny. Um I know, and I remember watching this with my mom, and as soon as Leonard Nimoy showed up, like, she just started crying. Like, she got so emotional seeing him, like, reprise his role, which was, like, really fun. Because I think he's also, um, I think he's also from Boston. Um, so we, like, you know, there's also the, like, home pride there, too. Seeing him come back for that was, like, really amazing. Um, Those scenes were great because, I mean, I know, I know the name Leonard Nimoy connected mm-hmm. to Star Trek, but... No, and Spock, but like without much background knowledge, the way that those scenes were set up, I could feel like for like the emotional weight for longtime fans being like, oh, they get Leonard Nimoy to mm-hmm. play old Spock. This feels real. But it like didn't feel like the cheap real where it's like, oh, there's a cameo of the original. Okay. And then they're shuffled off. He was given a lot of screen time. And I think this is also due to Nimoy's performance as just like embodying just like steadiness and just wisdom that like I could get a sense of who this character is. And I loved, yeah, I loved the scenes. There's the the scenes between him and Kirk. I did feel like it was a little cheap that like he ended up meeting his younger self because I thought that like, I mean, he himself said, we, I could never, like, you j- we cannot, he, my younger self cannot know, or my parallel self cannot know that I exist. And then they end up meeting. What was that about? Wasn't that? Oh, he said he lied. He was like, oh, I just like lied to Kirk about that. <laughs> I, I would have thought it would have been more impactful if that was true, that they're like, it would ruin something in the like space kind of time continuum or whatever, if they were ever to like have knowledge of each other. And I felt like them meeting was kind of like fan service that like didn't need to happen. But then again, I'm no one to speak because I'm like not a Star Trek person, but I thought that was like, the end was a little bit cheap. Well, I kind of like that there's no like interdimensional whatever conflict because then it's like, it's clean. There was one time travel incident and then the entire movie is fallout. There's no like convoluted going back or, you know, crossing. I see, I, and yeah, you bring up a great uh, point as, as well, Connor, that like the time travel device is streamlined. It's simple and it's, it's, it's effective. It like doesn't get caught up in the like uh, new, like complexities of like, rules lots of rules it's like based on a complicated concept delivered simply i think it's something we'll probably explore more as time travel month goes on because it's you know fundamental to exploring these plots and these concepts but of course there's kind of like two schools of thought there's the single universe theory where 
every every time something cycles back, it will have interacted with itself because that's part of its own history, um, excluding the initial uh, the initial incident timeline, which is a bit of a paradox. Or there's the string theory version, which is what this is, um, which I think is why I don't really have a problem with them meeting um, or the problem with them interacting as characters, even in spite of being the same the same characters and the same mass occupying the same universe, which like becomes a string theory thing where like, if they're occupying the same universe that could create a rift that destroys everything, but it's not really dealt with here. And I don't think has to be because the character, the character of the Spock that has already come back in time and has already experienced all of this pretext is so sewn into so sewn into the, it creating a tangential universe that it doesn't create that, that problem i don't know it's Mm. it's, this stuff's kind of hard really hard to explain it's kind of quantum physics as applies to plot and uh devices but i almost picked predestination uh which i'm kind of happy i didn't because uh man that that's some really fucking mind fucky like time travel shit so this one at least is like a little bit simpler to uh to deal with and talk about I think my criticism was less to do with the mechanics of like the time travel and more to do with just storytelling. Like I think it would be meaningful if like those two iterations of one character just could never talk because they exist in different realms and like have to use Kirk as sort of this like bridge. So that was my, yeah, it's more like relationship thing than time travel. Yeah. I'll have to call and email JJ myself, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, I like that moment too, though, because he, I mean, them meeting is like the moment where, um, I, like young Spock says he needs to leave, uh, Starfleet so that way he can help like repopulate the Vulcan planet. And then that conversation is kind of what like, is like, no, like you should stay. This is where you're meant to be. Like, um, you know, you're meant to like be a part of this crew and build these friendships um, so, I mean, just like for the, you know, the emotional aspect of it, it, it works for me, but, uh, you know, we, we, we we, we've all dealt with some fan service issues lately in different <laughs> franchises. So I know what you mean. <laughs> Any other like characters or like moments that we, we want to talk about with this movie? Eric, Eric, kind of a, Eric Band is just kind of a funny dude. He just is like giving it his all in this movie. Yeah, for sure. And I just love the idea of like, it's like a mining vessel that's causing all this chaos. It's not some like prime alpha superstar destroyer ship. Uh-huh. That, it's just like some rinky dink mining ship that he's like outfitted that I guess has missiles on it, but like using like the resources of the drill to like do his plot. Like I think mm-hmm. is definitely pretty one note. I would not call him a complex or you know, Nero is not a complex or deep character, but he's got anger and he's got a limited amount of resources. And you know what? He's doing a pretty effective job. Well, the one sci-fi element that I find really interesting is that it's specifically because it is a mining vessel, it has access to like the core of planets in drilling. And the weapon that they have isn't something of their own. It is uh, the, the what is it? The red matter yeah. that uh, Spock has developed to like subvert like, you know, uh, cosmic catastrophes and so on. But they're weaponizing it as uh, an extension of that mining technology to like insert it directly into a planet's core to destroy it. So it's kind of like, you know, in, in a really subtle and, like, probably pretty understated and underexplored way, but one that, like, gets my mind going in thinking about this movie is, like, a little bit that um, that Nero is a little bit, like, almost like a Frankenstein monster of Spock's design through this time travel paradox because mm. 
he has given him, him the tool to to wreak havoc on the the galactic uh, planets or the Federation's uh, series of planets because of technology that he he developed to save his homeworld but failed to do so. So it creates a lot of really interesting stakes that are really intersected and really explored in a way that's thought out and I don't find many holes in. I don't think there's many holes in this movie to, for the most part. I also like just like sci-fi tools. So I love the look of the red matter and that like giant like needle they need to get just like a teeny drop. Like all of that stuff looks so cool and like really gets me invested in some of like the like higher concept sci-fi stuff that might be like tougher to explain, which is these like cool like plot devices. And so really and great to set back to, to Dark Angel. <laughs> and, I, and I love Spock's ship, like the spinny whirlies. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and also with him, you get the great time travel thing of like, well, it took Spock seconds to arrive where they were, but it took Nero 25 years to get to like where the movie is. Yeah. Which is uh, because of the event horizon and gravitational time dilution of black holes, which is so good. It's so good. Like they did their homework. Explain all that. Although that is the one thing that actually bothered me. The only thing maybe that bothered me about this movie is the one Simon Pegg bit where it's like, a, and this is really not a problem, but just like a little nippy thing. It's like future Spock points out like in his own equation, like where, um, what, what is, uh, what is his line? Something like, um, like I, I didn't consider like within the equation that maybe it's moving space instead of time mm-hmm. or whatever, but like they already have warp engines and that's exactly how that works in quantum physics. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that, but also oh, Simon Pegg as a character, I normally in in movies where like he it's the Simon Pegg trio of these movies. Those are called something, right? The Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. yeah, like he he fits really well into those. In a lot of other movies, including uh, Christine, I hope Don't I hope not too offended. With <laughs> Mi, with M, the Mission Impossible series, I feel like a lot of times he exists as a character that, despite being a side character, is the audience surrogate that's self aware and is like. Uh, another impossible mission. Here we go again. Which I think he does a little bit here, but not as extremely in other roles. But I think that comes up a lot with him, which is unfortunate because I think he's a good actor. But I think a lot of times he's a foil of self-awareness that is applied to different franchises. That's so funny you mentioned that because I I really enjoyed Simon Pegg in this. I think because he was playing with the same MI character. <laughs> and I was like, this is just like being thrown into a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> I, Fair enough. I'm glad you enjoyed he's it. It's always so fun. Um, but I also love when he's introduced because uh, some of my favorite like sci-fi stuff are just like cute alien characters and his little sidekick dude. I think his name is Keenzer. Oh man, he's so cute. <laughs> it's uh, it's Babu Frick, but before Babu. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's just like like yelling at him like get down from there, and he's just like sitting up on some like pipe like hanging out. I'm like I love this dude. He's and- like here for like no real reason. Love it. It's very Star Wars, too, in the sense that they're silent. Yeah. Um, and then I think one of my other favorite side characters is, uh, I I mean, I just love Carl Urban. Um, and I love him in, like, franchises like this. Uh, but I think this is such a fun character for him because he kind of is playing, like, the nerdy, like, doctor character, but, like, is still just kind of being, like, himself. Uh, like, I have seen him in things, which I really enjoyed uh, quite a bit. <laughs> This is wild because not only did we talk about Twilight in our first 
Butter with that episode. We talked about Judge Dredd in our first episode. Right. And that was go. Carl Urban in a, mm-hmm. in a very different role. <laughs> very different. <laughs> uh, but Bones is such a fun well. character. I really like Bones. Yeah, I, I, that's what, another thing, too, that, like, it, it ties back to, like, Kirk's character and the characterization in this, uh, despite him being recast and despite him being, like, a different character or a different iteration of the same character from a different timeline, so it justifies the difference, um, is that with um, with Urban's character, too, it's it's still got, like, the iconic series, like, thing of, like, damn it, Jim, and saying damn it all the time, <laughs> which is, like, a, a kind of a constant character trait of the the character in the original franchise translated here. But in a way that doesn't like, you know, it's just shuffled into the reframing of the character. So yeah. it still feels like it's set in the same basis of the character, but justified by it being a different timeline, which it does yeah. with everyone, which is really cool. Um, also, just quickly, like Anton Yelchin, uh, gone too soon. Love him so much. Um, if there's a I think last yeah, last year or the year before uh, there was a documentary about him that came out called Love Antosha. Um, and a lot of like the cast from this movie like talks about him um, like John Cho is in it. Um, I think Chris Pine, too. Um, and they just like give some really lovely tributes. Um, and he, he like is like, uh, Russian and stuff. So this was like kind of a a fun role for him to be, uh, for him to like end up taking on, um, his parents, like both immigrated, uh, to the U S uh, when he was born. Um, so just like, love that dude. I miss him. I went to his grave in, uh, Hollywood forever. Um, and he's, yeah, he's just so good in this movie. Um, yeah, it's just like such a solid ensemble, um, which, I think is like, you know, I love when I, there's a movie that I watch and I'm like trying to figure out like who my favorite characters are because there are just so many good characters. Um, any other like scenes or, or aspects of the the film we want to talk about? Uh, shout out to set design. I love the like, oh yeah, yeah. The, like I think the enterprise for like the interior ones, like the pipes and the water and all that, I think it was like just a giant, like not not brewery but some sort of big facility like that in like the middle of illinois that's just like acres and acres and acres of like industrial tanks and pipes and plumbing like what a cool so you you don't have a field of endless green screen things you're like he's actually running around and running ducking in and out of things i don't know if that's the most like star trek accurate way to like portray the inside of like a futuristic spaceship but for a movie it works incredibly (laughs) well yeah loved the skydiving scene with oh yeah that was really well done. And the, the, like I've, I've watched a like series of random skydiving action movies. Some good, like point break skydives. Great. Mm-hmm. Other one I watched, I can't remember the name of it. Not so great, but, um, but yeah, those guys, like the skydiving parachute breaks, you know, the classic hiccups done really effectively. And uh, it was watch. It was nice watching, um, Kirk and Sulu overcome obstacles, like off kind of like on a side mission, side plot. Mm. But yeah, that one always stands out for me in this for sure. A shame that we're probably never going to get a fourth one with these characters. Mm. Um, the second one, the Wrath of Khan knockoff, is horrible. Like that movie is just, that's a shame. Oh, but really? It's not. Horrible. I think it's fine. Um, and they also do some interesting stuff. Like if you've seen the original Wrath of Khan, which is like very, very good, um, they do some interesting stuff to try to make it its own in this like side universe. Um, so there's like some character stuff in that movie that I like really enjoy. Um, and I like Benedict Cumberbatch as the villain too. So 
I would definitely recommend folks check out Star Trek Beyond because um, it feels like a it's the third one. I mentioned it already, but it feels like a side story in this universe, which is like a cool take for like a blockbuster movie. Like it's not a m- multiverse ending plot. It's just a, they got to help a spaceship and that's a movie. Mm-hmm. And Idris Elba is a pretty uh, hammy villain in the third one. Love Idris. I guess I just add that. Yeah. Um, again, with the baseline baseline knowledge of this franchise, it's. It's brilliant that this movie is a self-justifying reboot, like within the context of it being a movie and being part of time travel, as is our theme. Really kind of left me feeling like, like, I know these characters are going to be fine, but like I am white knuckling it at the end of this movie. And uh, yeah, across the board, great performances, really interesting and really, uh, really good, really good casting. Um, I, I love the production and set design, as we discussed, um, in spite of the lens flares, I think uh, it, as is very covered uh, in internet lore and everything. This movie is laden with lens flares, which I do appreciate as a tonal aesthetic choice that is consistent. What is, what is a lens flare? It's, the, it's kind of like the light reflecting into what would be the lens of a camera on the screen. Okay. But it's digitally created in almost every shot of this movie. <laughs> okay, I, 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 can, I can get it yeah. in, my, in my mind's eye. And it's a cool it's a cool choice, but I do think that at times the insistence on that being so such a dominant production design element does obscure our view of some really impressive set design otherwise. So it's maybe not as big a deal as the internet has made it out to be, but it was distracting. Yeah. But otherwise, I think this movie is a is a real knockout and I had a great time with it. Yeah, and I mean, like, uh, you know, Christine and Dave, like, just saw this movie, and none of us, like, have the closest relationship with, like, the original Star Trek, so, like, this is obviously, like, a a reboot that's, like, super accessible for new fans, which is pretty cool and, like, doesn't always work super great, so um, that's, that's, like, one thing I really enjoy about this, too. Well, I guess we can kind of wrap it up here, then, if that's good for everyone. Live long and prosper. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I did love that the first time it comes up in the movie is when, like, uh, Spock is getting reprimanded by the elders. And when he gives it back to him is, well, live long and prosper. It's so close to, like, the Southern, like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> yeah. um, also, that Beastie Boys party. needle drop is one of my favorite moments ever in mm. movies. Uh, love a good Beastie Boys drop, so... Uh, also just that that's perfect. Um, but yeah, you'll, you can check out more of our, uh, time travel, uh, episodes coming up. Uh, as we've talked about, we're on the movie John podcast network. So you can check out, um, our podcast as well as several others that are on the movie John network. Um, read some articles and things that me and other folks have written on movie John. Uh, and then Garrett and I should be launching killer bees on there soon. So, um, keep, keep an eye out for that. Um, and then of course, follow us, uh, butter with that podcast, uh, at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email, apparently my dad emailed us, uh, Connor, I don't know if you got it. Uh, but my dad asked, he was like, have you guys read my email yet? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> we will. Um, so we will. <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can, you can send us an email. You can find us on all of the social medias. Um, and yeah, that, uh, catch you later. <laughs>